Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. I was thinking about it this week as I was like getting ready for this and like, oh, we should remind people. It, it holds true. Uh, I've thought about this before. I've shared it with you guys. Church is like one of these weird places where you don't really know why you're here. I mean, you kind of know why you're here. You got like a vague idea, but that actually doesn't really happen anywhere else. Well, not in any other context, right? You go to a movie, like it's understood. We're here to watch the movie, right? Turn off your cell phone, shut up and watch the movie. Like that's the expectation. Or you go to a restaurant, like I'm here to pay for food and I'm supposed to eat the food. Or if I don't, you know, just like the expectation is pretty clear. And church is one of these weird things where there's a hundred different people and they might all think that there's a hundred different things going on. Like a hundred different reasons why they are here. And as a church, we just don't believe that. I actually think there's one reason for you to be here. And, and I think you probably pick up on that. You're not dumb people, right? You go into a church, you listen, you sing, you kind of get the idea, like the vibe is like what I just did should impact me somehow, right? You kind of get that feeling like what I did, like this shouldn't just be here in this hour and 10 minutes that we're together. This should be something, I think, I think this should go beyond just the Sunday morning thing. That's kind of the understanding. And, 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 but you're like, I don't know. Is this like brushing my teeth? Like I just do it because I'm scared what would happen if I don't do it? Or like, is it just like helpful? Like, is it like a supermarket? Like when I need milk, I go to the grocery store. When I need eggs, I go to the grocery store. When I need God, I go to church. And if I don't feel like I need God, then I don't need to go to church that week. Like, what are we, what is this all about? Is there a bigger picture, like with more specifics than just like make you feel better? Like, is this supposed to be like you're supposed to come in here and feel great about what happens and leave? Just like, man, I feel better. Thanks for that. Because I think some people do that too. Will we be able to tell if this worked at some point? Like, will we be able to like, oh, yeah, that we, we did what we were trying to do? Or, or no, it didn't work. Or are we just going to keep doing it until we die? And then be like, I hope it worked. It's kind of a weird thing because I said lots of people come to church, even regular church attenders, like weekly even. People here all the time would have a difficult time telling you big picture, why they are here, where they are going, what they're hoping to accomplish by being here. And, and our church actually has an answer to that question. Okay, so we're not just like, I don't know, let's just open the door and see if people come and see what happens, right? Like, we actually have expectations. And, and I know that makes everybody really happy because you like being told what to do with your life, right? It's just like how you were born. You're like, please tell me. I hate it. I know you probably hate it too. But if you look through the scriptures and you see God work in people's lives, there seems to be this pattern. We're not talking about like factory assembly line where everything's made the exact same and God's just like stamping people. But we are seeing some patterns on the way God works in people's lives who are following him and whom he is using. And there seem to be four relatively clear steps that occur over and over and over and over again in the lives of people whom God is working in. And you could see it in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation 
and, and so to make it e- easy on everybody, we've actually, as a church, just go ahead and, and name those steps, and we've put those steps into regular language so they're easy to remember. Uh, we might have a slide for this. I should have, like, talked to you earlier about this, Toby, so if they don't have a slide, that's totally on me, but... Look at these dudes. Somebody high-five a junior higher on your way out. Well done. Okay. If you've been around our church, you probably recognize these. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And, and this is not just a cool thing to say. We literally believe that this is God's plan for every single one of you in this room or who are listening to this message. God brought all of you here or allowed you to listen to this message to move you down this path. This is the expectation when God works in your life and when you follow Jesus and when you come to church and I can point to Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse that would tell you this is not my expectation for your life, but this is God's expectation for your life. And because this is God's call upon your life, I believe that every single person listening to this is capable of taking these four steps. Now, maybe you're like me, like I said earlier, and you don't really like being told what to do. Pray for my wife. And I really don't love telling me, somebody telling me that God has expectations for me and that they know what they are, right? Like, if God had a plan for my life, I'd know what it is. Thanks. Very logical idea. But my argument would be, I'm not telling you anything new. I would say you probably already knew that this was God's plan for your life. I'm not telling you like, hey, revolutionary idea, like God wants you to know. I'm like, these are things that I think you already know. Maybe you just didn't have language for them, right? But this is the spirit already working in your heart. Maybe even if you're far from God, you made it to church or listening to a message right now that you don't know, you can't explain it, but now these words are like put to your heart and there's something resonating within you. It's like, oh yeah. And even if you are are still skeptical of the idea, I think I could prove that this is God's plan for every life. Flip these ideas around, right? Would any of you be comfortable arguing that God doesn't want you to know him? That God's like playing hide and seek? Would any of you be comfortable arguing that God doesn't want you to find freedom? Would anybody be comfortable arguing that God doesn't want you to find your purpose? Or he doesn't want you to make a difference in this world? No. I think all those things are ridiculous to think that God would like, no, I want you to stay in bondage. Like there's pages and pages and pages of scripture that tell you, no, he actually wants you to find freedom. So there, now last thing before we jump into the parable, there's probably some like Bible college kid that's like, no, Jared, actually, this is not the plan for God of everybody's life. God's plan is that we make disciples. I'm like, exactly. Right? The last thing Jesus said was, go make disciples. And he said that to the disciples. Okay? All we've done is put four steps into what a disciple looks like. Okay? So this is, we call these actually the four steps of discipleship. I know that's a crazy idea, but these are the four steps of discipleship because this is what it looks like to be a disciple. I think it would be very hard-pressed to say you are a disciple and miss one of these steps. Right? Like, I'm a disciple. I just don't know God. I'm a disciple. I just don't make a difference in the world. I'm a disciple. I'm just not free. Like, okay, like, not everybody's free from sin at every moment, but there has to be some sort of process of freedom. James is like, hey, if you tell me you love Jesus and I don't see nothing, right, even demons know Jesus. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get into it. That was a side note. 
Mark chapter 4, Jesus taught his, his followers a parable that illustrates God's expectations for your life. And so we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 4 this morning, starting verse 1. Here we go. Chapter 4, Mark, verse 1. If you have a white or a blue Bible that we gave you, it's page 489. Did I forget to give out Bibles? All right, well, here we go. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, a parable is just a story intended uh, to illustrate a spiritual truth, okay? So it's a word we don't use much today, but it's not complicated. It's just like a story with a point, like the moral of the story is. That's what a parable was, okay? And in his teaching, he said to them, verse 3, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. We don't use that word either. He's not sowing needle and thread. This is scattering seed, okay? So if you don't use that word, that's fine. Sowing is the idea of like scattering seed on the ground that'll hopefully grow old school word. And verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus tells a story. He says a farmer scatters some seed, some falls on the path, some falls on the rocks, some in the weeds, and some in the good soil. But what's awesome about this parable is that Jesus tells us what it means later. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So I love this about the disciples. They come to Jesus. They pretend to get it while he's telling the story. They're like, oh yeah, locked in. And then afterwards, they're like, so Jesus, I have a friend. You don't know him. Don't worry about it. Who didn't understand what you said. So what would you say to the friend of mine who didn't get your teaching? Like, how would I help him understand? Because he's, you know, a little slow, right? And so verse 11, here Jesus starts his explanation. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, so... Before we get into the actual explanation of the parable, I want to take a look at this because usually people, when they're studying through this, they're like, oh yeah, let's get to the parable. Let's get to the meaning of the parable. Let's get to the meaning. Like, hold your horses for a second. Look at what Jesus just said about this parable, okay? This is a really big deal. He says, verse 11, in this parable, you have been given the secret to the kingdom of God. Like, this is not just like, Hey, this is like top 100. Like, write it down. Like, if you're going to put something on a coffee mug or an apron or a sympathy card, like, this is, this is in the ballpark of like, no, he's like, this is the secret to the kingdom of God. This is the secret. Like, think of all the things that you've thought about, like, that are super important in your Bible. The Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, the Great Commission, whatever your favorite Bible verse is. Of none of those did Jesus say, this is the secret to the kingdom of God. 
And then he takes it another step further and look at verse 13. He says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of the parables. If you don't understand this thing that I'm saying right now, you won't understand any of the things that I say. That's like a, that's, that's, that's heavy, right? It's big. Jesus isn't just like, hey, like, you should think about this a little bit. No, he calls it the secret to the kingdom of God. And then he says, if you don't get this, you won't get anything I say. Which, going back to our mission as a church, it should be a really big deal if, it, if it's God's plan for every single person on the planet, right? So I think we're on the right track here. So what does it actually mean? Let's see what Jesus says, starting verse 14. The sower sows the word. If you're a Bible underliner, I don't even care if you aren't, underline this in your Bible. The sower sows the word. The word of God, that's what we're talking about, the word, right? The seed is the word. That's where it starts. It starts with the word of God, right? It doesn't start with this like, hey, let's just like feel where the, no, it starts with the word, right? The sower sows the word. Here we go. The seed in the story is the word of God. So you need to see the whole thing as God initiated, okay? He makes the first move. He, in his kindness and grace, gave us his word. Everything that follows is simply a response to the word of God. And you're like, no, 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 I respond to God other ways. And I'm like, okay, tell me everything you know about God that didn't come from his word. Go. Right? Everything you know about Jesus that didn't come from the Bible. Go. Right? So it all starts with the word of God. That's, what's, that's our foundation. Okay? In verse 15, here he goes. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So soil number one. The problem is the seed never gets planted. It never makes it into the ground because the birds come and take it away. And seed that isn't planted will never grow. So what should be happening here is the seed of the word of God should be planted. What should be happening is the word of God should cause this person to what we would say is know God. God gave us his word and sent his son that we might know him. Can we all agree on that? Right? That's why God... God initiated communication with this world, chose to reveal himself to this world by his word. That's why at the very beginning of your Bible, God says, he snapped his fingers and the world existed. No, it said he spoke. He, from the very beginning, chose to communicate with this world by his word, right? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the waters be separated. And God said, let there be evening and morning, right? So God chose to reveal himself to this world by his word that you would know him. Shouldn't be any heresy yet, right? Wait, that's later. No, it's not coming, right? But that's, we're going to label that first one, know God. Now, when I talk about knowing something, there are two aspects to knowing something, and God is no different. And the two ways to know something are information and experience, right? Or you could say, you could say this a lot of different ways. You could say head and heart, right? I know what my wife looks like. I know that she's 5'6". I know she has green eyes and brown hair and her name's Megan, right? That's all information. But I also know when she's mad. That's experience, right? That's a different thing. I couldn't claim to know my wife if either one of those were lacking and happy. I didn't mean to make that negative, right? Like, and joyful and excited, right? Like, I came home the other day, and the table, we have a living room that's weirdly shaped, and so the table can either go this way or that way. And, like, I always know when my wife feels like we need to, like, freshen things up because the table goes from this way to that way. And then a couple months later, it'll go back. 
And I'll be like, changing it up. Baby steps, right? That's all from experience, right? And so there's this understanding of God that happens by information. You got to know the right stuff about God, but then you actually have to experience God by obeying the things that you know. Otherwise, you can't claim to know him, right? If it's just, if there's a ton of people who just have a bunch of information. They have no experience. That's why often when we talk about the Christian life, the first step we call surrendering, because surrender is an experience, right? It's this experience of, of knowing God, of walking in the things you know about God. So yes, you need to know the truth about God, the information, and then that m- truth needs to make its way into what, the way you live your life so you know him through experience. This is the first reason Jesus says that people do not get to their goal because the word of God is never planted and therefore they do not know him. And just so you know, this isn't linear or finite, right? This isn't one, a thing that just like up and to the right, the whole, like we couldn't graph this. Like the knowledge of God is like, it's, it's growing, but it's blah, 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 you know, it's crazy. And it never ends, right? It's not finite. It's just, it's not encapsulated in like this perfect, neat thing that you would like to draw. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And none of these do, just so you know. I literally just found out that my wife's favorite color is navy blue, last week. I knew that her color, favorite color was blue forever. And then she's like, I love navy blue. And I was like, I thought you like light blue. And she's like, no. And I was like, 13 years. I mean, you could tell me I'm a terrible husband. That's fine. But like, I'm just saying like this knowledge like thing, it goes like this. Anyway, another sidetrack. Here we go. Verse 16, second soil. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the second soil, the seed gets planted, but the problem is it can't grow roots. Okay? Now, plants want to grow roots. That's what plants do. You may not know this about plants, but the first thing they do is they actually grow roots down before they grow up. They grow down first because they need roots to support them, to grab nourishment and strength and even stabilize them so that when they grow up, they can flourish and bear fruit and and do the things that plants need to do, which is grow. This plant wants to grow roots, but it can't because there's rocks in the soil. Do you see that? Like, it wants to grow roots. It's like, I'm gonna, and it's like, oh, there's a rock in the way. So it's not free to do the thing that it knows it should do to survive. You get that? So we're going to call this one find freedom. Because the, the plant in this part of the parable is not free to do what it knows it should do or wants to do. There's no freedom. The idea being that we need to remove the things that are keeping the word of God from growing the way it should be growing in a life. So when we talk about finding freedom in our lives, what do we find freedom from? Don't overthink this. It's not super complicated, right? Because there's some guy in the back who read a bunch of books who's like, well, no, 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 sin. That's it. We need freedom from sin. It's that simple. It's not more complicated than that. We find freedom from sin. Jesus came that we would be free from sin. Simple answer. Don't overcomplicate it right now. And there's only two ways that sin affects us. By the way, as we go through this, if you're a note taker, you can leave that up there if you want to, boys. Um, If you're a note taker, 
Uh, there's going to be two points for each one of these points. I know, eight points in a message. I'll still finish on time. Well, maybe. I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Here we go. So <clears throat> there's only two ways that sin can affect us. There's sin we've committed or there's sin other people have committed against us. Right? We're either the perpetrator or the victim. That's it. That's the only way. Right? So when Jesus came that we would find freedom from sin, there's only two ways that that can happen. There's either freedom from the sin we've committed, the things we've done that we should have not done, or the things that we should have done and didn't do, that's all going to be sin, or sin that people have committed against us, or sin that we are feeling the effects of. And so there's actually two very clear ways to deal with that type of sin in the Bible. If you're the perpetrator, if it's sin you've committed, it's confession and repentance. Again, nothing new. This is not heresy, right? There's confession and repentance. Jesus came that you might find freedom from sin, but as he died on the cross, he did give you the expectation that you would confess and repent of your sin. Now, confession is just telling sin before God and before the person you sinned against, and then repentance, turning around, going the other way. It's actually a legal word, right? To start with, like, turning the opposite direction, right? Because it starts in your mind. Anyway, then there's the sin that other people have committed against us. How do we find freedom from sin that others have committed against us? Forgiveness. Not overcomplicated, right? These are the tools. Confession, repentance for the sin you've committed, forgiveness for the sin that people have committed against us. Now, please don't hear me just because I had simple explanations for this, that any of this is simple, right? Just like I said earlier, knowledge of God is not linear and it's not finite. Neither are these things, right? Confession or repentance is not linear and it's not finite and neither is forgiveness. Like they're difficult things, right? But they're things that God has called us to, to find freedom because without those things, the word of God cannot grow like it wants to grow, like it should grow to sustain the, the fruit, the growth later on in your life, right? If those things, if the rocks are inhibiting, then when life happens to you as life really is, it scorches you. What does it say in the parable? The sun got hot withered away, didn't have the root to sustain. Why? Because there was no freedom to grow the types of roots that needed to sustain life when life really happens. Here's the bottom line for the second soil. If you neglect to confess or repent or you refuse to forgive, your lack of freedom will stunt your growth because you will have no root. And plants can't live like that. Plants with insufficient root cannot handle life as it really is. Third soil, verse 18. And the other are grown among... and. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the third soil is good soil. The seed is planted, and there's no rocks. The problem with the third soil is that good soil will grow anything. Who's got gardens? Right? Good soil will grow whatever. It's not discerning. It'll be like, yeah, bring it. This is good soil. There's no rocks. It's got enough water. Like anything will grow in that. So the problem is not that it won't grow anything. It actually grows everything. 
So what, what needs to happen? You need to identify if you're actually going to grow something worth growing, what you should be growing and what you shouldn't be growing. Okay? So like there's some stuff that should be growing and there's some stuff that shouldn't be growing. Can you imagine a farmer that was like, you know, you go up to his house to visit. You're like, hey, man, I see you're a farmer. Yeah. It's like, how many acres you got? A lot. Okay, what are you growing? I don't know. We'll see you in the fall. What? <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we just let it go. Like, uh, like, what's the price on? Question mark. Right? Like, you don't even know what's in there. Right? You can't just let everything grow. I got a resident farmer here. I'm, ask, I'm resisting asking how much half weed, half soybean is, right? Like, it's not much. Zero, right? Nobody wants to guess what they're eating. Like, so here's the thing. We went to, I don't know why this is free because it's not in my notes, but like one time we went to Russia and there was ground beef and then much cheaper than ground beef was ground meat. Nope, we didn't try it. You don't want to not know what's in there, right? There should be some stuff in your ground beef, and there should be some stuff that's not in your ground beef, right? There should be some stuff that you're growing. There should be some stuff that you're not growing, right? That's, so we call that, we're going to label that, hopefully this is intuitive, discover purpose, right? What should we be growing? What should we not be growing? What should be, what is my purpose? What should be happening? Now, when you're talking about the stuff that should be growing in your life, the Bible talks about purpose in two different contexts. There's an us and there's an I, right? There's a me and there's a we, right? If you want bigger words than that, there's an individual calling and there's a corporate calling, okay? So, the purpose that the Bible has in, in mind for you is the kind of person you're supposed to be. And then the Bible also has a purpose on who we are supposed to be as the church, the community you're supposed to be a part of. So there's an individual purpose and a corporate purpose. There's something God has uniquely qualified you to do that nobody else is called to do. And then there's something that God has called you to be a part of as a piece of the whole, as something bigger than yourself. So here's how these two things work together. The individual purpose has to do with your unique situation and gifting. So you, you got a story that nobody else has. You've been through things that nobody else has. You've done things that nobody else has done. You've seen things nobody else has seen, heard things nobody else has seen, and you have gifts that nobody else has, okay? That's the key to your individual purpose. Some of you are moms to kids that I will never be a mom to for a few different reasons. And some of you are organized in a way I'll never be organized. Some of you think a way I will never think. And God will use your individual purpose to grow and build relationships and meet needs and reach people that I could never reach. And the person next to you will never reach. And that's on purpose. So we start with the individual question. What should I and what should I not be growing with my personal life? When we're talking about our purpose... Now, this is, you're going to talk about your gifting when we talk about individual purpose, right? We're going to look at what am I good at? What is my story? What needs do I see? How do I view things, right? When we're talking about individual purpose, it almost has to do everything with what's inside of you, your giftings, your talents, your opportunities, your situation in life. When we talk about corporate purpose, that's not about you. That's about us, right? When we talk about our corporate purpose, it's you being connected with the people of God in the world. God calls that the church. And within your connection to the church, there are needs that become apparent and you see them. And that becomes your purpose, not necessarily because it's your gift, but because you're part of something bigger. 
So maybe you aren't especially gifted financially, right? You're not just rolling in it, but the buddy next to you needs 20 bucks. That's fulfilling your corporate purpose by giving him your 20 bucks, right? You see a need over there. He needs a hand. Like, I own a truck. I'm moving, right? That's you being part of your corporate purpose. Somebody's watching kids upstairs, loving on your kids. They were here early, praying for your children before they walked in the door. Somebody came and set up these chairs. Somebody's running sound. Those junior high boys found the slide, right? All of that is not necessarily because they're like computer whizzes, but because there was a need and they met the need and they're part of the corporate purpose. It doesn't just happen here. We go outside to missions and things like that. But make no mistake, if you just think about your individual purpose and never talk about your corporate purpose, you're missing a huge part of what God wants to grow in your life. A huge part. So the things that we should be growing are both individual and corporate. I and us, me and we. The things you shouldn't be growing, the things that will choke out your purpose in life. He gives us three things. Look at verse 19. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. You see that? These are the things that choke out the purpose of God in the life. These are the things that shouldn't be growing. And you need to see this. In and of themselves, these things are not sin. Okay? Remember, we dealt with sin in the second soil. But what happens here is distraction. These things become distractions if you allow them to grow alongside the purpose of God for your life. And they will eventually choke out the things God wants for your life. We've all seen friends that do this, right? You probably had like this happen when you were a kid in school, right? And you were like best friends with your buddy. And then like he started to like girls and you're like, oh no, I lost my friend, right? He's just like slipping away into the ether, right? That happens, right? And it's not a bad thing. But in a perfect world, should he neglect his friendships? No. Like, we should, we, have, we should have time for both. And, right, that's a simple example. But people do it all the time, right? I got a boat. You just never see him anymore, right? We got a lake place. Never see him anymore. Got a new job. Never see him anymore. Had to make payments, right, on the new house, right? All of these things happen. Like, kids got into sports. Like, and they're, they're not sinful things. But people on the outside are looking in and going like, it's choking out the things you should be growing for things that are a distraction. And a little bit of cares of the world and a little bit of deceitfulness of riches and a pinch of desires for other things. And just like Jesus said, before you know it, it's been nine months since you engaged with the purpose of God in your life, in the community of the people of God. I, I, this is kind of ironic, but you know plants don't scream when they're dying? Like we kill a lot of plants at our house. Like it's a gift we have. Um, we actually did pretty good with these cactuses. And so we we're like, we could do fine. And we got another plant and we immediately killed it. It was like, oh, maybe cactuses are tougher than we thought, right? So, but I have three kids and none of them are dead yet. You know why? Because if they're dying, they scream. They're like, <laughs> Ah! And I'm like, oh, this needs attention, right? <laughs> Plants don't scream. It would be a little different at our house if they did. Like, Jared, water me! <laughs> the word of God will just be choked out of your life silently, is my point. It happens over and over and over and over again. Now, fourth soil. Let's look at it. 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So the intention is that the word of God bears fruit. This is what should be happening in every heart, that the word of God is planted and grows and changes not only the way I am, but how I think and the things that I do. The Bible calls this fruit. Now, there's fruit of the spirit, which is inside of you, okay? Things growing in your heart and soul. And the Bible also talks about the fruit of good works, which is things outside of you. Things that are observable, like good deeds and and doing good things for other people. So here's the way we say it. And we're going to label this last soil, make a difference, right? The end goal of the word of God is to make a difference. If everything works like it should, the word of God leads us to bear fruit and to make a difference. Now, just like the other three steps had two points underneath them, this one also has two points. Uh, Just to make it easier to remember, we'll call them X's and O's. Okay, this has nothing to do with football or hugs and kisses or tic-tac-toe. But here's the connection. X's as in multiply. If you write notes, write an X and then multiply. Fruit is intended to multiply. Apple trees make more apple trees. Cherry trees make more cherry trees. Plum trees make more plum trees. Fruit trees contain seeds. So the purpose of fruit is to grow more fruit. You get that? Somebody say amen, right? Fruit has a seed in it. So if everything goes right, there will be more fruit when that seed drops, grows, and produces more fruit. That's the idea. Multiplication. Like when Jesus said to his disciples, to go and make disciples, he was telling the disciples to make more disciples. Multiplication. So we make a difference as a Christian with the intention of multiplication. That's where we start, right? When we talk about making a difference, it should be multiplying the work of God, not only in our hearts, but on the planet. Now, here's how it works. I make a difference in the life of my son, hoping that one day he goes out into the world and makes a difference in this world. And I make a difference in my marriage, hoping that maybe we can help someone who is struggling in marriage and make a difference in their marriage. And then maybe down the road, because they are plugged into their corporate purpose, they can help another couple that is struggling in their marriage and make a difference for them. You cannot separate fruit from the idea of multiplication. Fruit intends to multiply. It's just the way the world works. The second thing is, oh, I said X's and O's, right? O's as in circles. And, and more specifically, concentric circles. Concentric is a fancy word for they all have the same center. So like a target, like a bullseye, like the target sign, right? Little circle, bigger circle, bigger circle. I was out at Green Bluff last fall, and we were walking through, and I was, it was actually two falls ago. We were studying for this, and we were in an apple orchard, and I'm walking up to this apple tree, and I see an apple here, an apple here, an apple here. And as I get closer to the apple tree, you know what happened on the ground? More apples. And you know where most of the apples were? Right under the tree. That's how fruit's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the closer you get, the more fruit there is. And the further away you get, there's still fruit, but it's less fruit. And we get it twisted sometimes in the Christian life, especially in this like celebrity pastor culture, right? And like people who never met this pastor just watch his stuff online. They're like, oh, that guy's amazing. And then you get closer to the guy and it's like, oh, but he's a drug addict and his family doesn't like him and his kids hate him and his marriage is a mess. And you're like, wait, that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus actually had a word for that. When there's fruit on the outside, but death on the inside, hypocrites. 
And he called a lot of religious people hypocrites. He said, you look fancy, but on the outside you look nice. On the inside you're dead. That's not how fruit's supposed to be. The closer you get to the source, the more fruit should be. When Jesus was telling his disciples to go make disciples, he told them to go where first? Jerusalem, which is where they lived. That was the city they're in. Then Judea, which is the country that Jerusalem was in. Then to Samaria, which is the country next door. And then to the ends of the earth. Concentric circles. If you look at the people closest to you, and that's where the least amount of fruit is, that's a problem. And that's an American culture thing, right? We put on a good face for work, and then our family and our wives get the worst part of us. Right? And so everybody at the office thinks we're amazing. Everybody at home thinks we're a jerk. I'm preaching myself here, just in case you didn't know. Right? So it's a, that's a problem. The closer you get to people, like, you should be able to, like, actually, the closer I get, the more people think this guy has integrity. The closer I get, the more people think this girl is led by the Holy Spirit. The closer I get, the more people respect and believe and trust in her. This is how the word of God is supposed to make a difference. It's supposed to make the biggest difference in the things closest to you. So the word God should make the biggest difference in your heart and then in your marriage and then with your kids and then with your friendships and then in your workplace and making a difference like the fruit of a tree should make the biggest impact closer to the tree. So those are the four soils. Three bad ones, one good one. And what I would argue is that the plan of God for every single life is that listening to this message right now would do something along this spectrum. What I love about this parable is that it's intentionally diagnostic, meaning that Jesus teaches this so that you hear it and recognize it and diagnose some of the things that are going on in your own heart and life. That's how the Holy Spirit uses it. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I haven't found freedom. Or oh yeah, I have some stuff I need to repent of. Or oh, I got some things in my life that are choking out God's purpose for my family. Or oh, I don't really know God because I never make time for the word of God. Or all I know is information. I don't have any experience. I've never actually made a difference. I just listen to a lot of YouTube sermons. And as we read this, we can all clearly identify in our own lives areas where we got off the rails. And we recognize maybe we've wandered from the word of God. Maybe we've stopped finding freedom. Maybe we've stopped multiplying disciples or making a difference. Maybe we've become people who have heard the word but never lived it out. Maybe we've in that huge category of Christians who think they know God, have found as much freedom as they're comfortable with, and we're good people, but haven't understood that our purpose as a church is to go make a difference. And so we don't make a difference anytime. We just go to church. What's great about this parable is that it will meet you right where you're at. Now, that's not very good if you're trying to give a good sermon right? Because in pastor school, they tell you, you should have one main point. People should remember what the point is at the end. I was like, I don't know what the point for you is this morning. Maybe the word of God never gets planted in your heart. Maybe you need to find freedom from some stuff. Maybe you're choking out. Maybe you're not making a difference. I don't know. Good thing is the Holy Spirit's great at his job. I don't know what God wants to teach you specifically this morning. I'll leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he has a plan for your life. And it involves you knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and going out and making a difference. You know, 
when God chose to interact with this world, he didn't primarily choose a system or an organization. He chose a people. You know that? Like when he's like, how am I going to maintain my presence in this world? He left a people. The word of God was intended to produce a people. The organization of the church was intended to produce a people. That the plan of God for the earth was always about producing a people. Okay, a people that know God, a people that have found freedom, a people that know their purpose, and people that go out and make a difference. Amen? Let's pray.